Bibles with you. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 15. If you'll stand with me all over the room, if you don't have your Bibles with you, Brother Lauren will have it on the screen for you. Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I'm reading from the New King James Version. The word said, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I don't know about you, but I'm glad this morning that he does. Is anybody else glad this morning that he does? In the 845 service today, we had one saved. And I come this morning to preach to you for a few moments. He's a good good father. Do you believe that today? He's a good, good father. I want you while you're standing to pray with me and for me one more time. Father, we thank you for your presence that we feel here right now. God, we thank you for what you've already done in this place today. But Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you that you're a good, good father. So Lord, I'm asking you for the next few moments that you would remove every hindrance, Lord, that would that would prohibit us and hinder us from hearing what you have for us today. But God, I pray you would anoint these lips of clay to speak, Lord, your words and not mine. And let your word come forth today in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. Anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you're speaking to your children today. We thank you that you're a good, good father. And we give you praise and thanks in advance, Lord, for what I believe you're going to do in this service today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying... This man receives sinners and eats with them. I want you to picture this scene, if you will, today. Because there are those who know that they are very distant from the Lord. Yet some way, somehow, they still feel comfortable in His presence. They realize they're very distant from the Lord, but they feel comfortable in His presence. And then on the other hand, there are those who feel that they are close to God, but for some reason they get very uncomfortable sometimes in His presence. And isn't it interesting how that can happen? So Jesus tells this story that I want us to look at today on down in the same chapter in this passage of Scripture we've been reading in Luke chapter 15. If you drop on down to verse 11 through 13, you'll read this. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. In other words, give me what's mine. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, and he journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, the younger son took the life that his father was going to give him. He took the heritage, if you will. He took the title, if you will. He took all of the resources that, were, that was going to be given to him for a purpose. And that purpose was so that he could accomplish what his life was supposed to be. 
so he could accomplish what God's purpose or the Father's purpose was for his life. But he took all of that and he went to a place that was far, far away from the heart of his Father. Now I want to tell you this morning that just like this son, when people turn away from God, they often turn away from the purpose of God in their life. Now, in their hearts, they may not think, they may not even realize that they are turning away from God, but somehow they begin to gravitate toward a self-focused gospel, toward a self-focused lifestyle. And I want to tell you something today. Very sadly, when the house of God becomes a place of legalism, and when the house of God becomes a place of strictness, some of you all are going to know what I'm talking about when I begin to mention this. But I want to tell you this morning, when it all becomes about the length of and or the style of your clothing. Are you with me this morning? When it becomes about hairstyles and whether or not you wear makeup or jewelry or men, whether or not you wear short sleeves or long sleeves or have facial hair or no facial hair. Whenever it becomes more about the don'ts, are you with me today, than it does about the do's. When our don't list becomes so long that we tell people you don't do this, you don't don't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. When we focus more on the don'ts than we do on the do's, when we rely upon our own works and how much good that we can do rather than relying on the work of the cross that Jesus has already done on Calvary, I want to tell you when we do that, we cause the next generation to take their inheritance, to take their purpose, to take their destiny. And they are driven far away from the heart of God. Because I want to tell you something this morning. It doesn't matter how holy you might think you are. It doesn't matter how you dress. What you don't do. And how your list is kept. It doesn't matter how great you may feel about yourself. And how holy you may think you are. I came to tell you this morning. We are all A-L-L in need of every drop of blood. That was shed on the cross of Calvary. Every single one of us is in need of God's grace and mercy. I've been praying about this generation and God has been doing something for us. I'm thankful to report to you today that after the 845 service this morning, we have now seen uh, five people since November 1st, Five people saved, two people rededicated, and eight people follow the Lord in water baptism. We ought to give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. And I've been praying and asking God how to reach this generation. Let me tell you something about this generation. I believe with all my heart they don't want to go to hell. I believe they don't want to go to hell. But they also don't want to be a part of a joyless religion. Some of the most miserable people I've ever known were church folk. Some of the sickest people I've ever known were church folk. They get a sniffle or a sneeze and woe is me, I'm dying. It's the truth. It's the truth. Some of the most miserable people, the most joyless people. Listen, this generation 
is not looking for that. They're looking for some genuine, authentic people that have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe they want freedom. I believe they want to worship. I believe they want to express their faith. But I want to tell you something else. Can I preach to the church for just a moment? Listen, it got really quiet at 8.45 when I said this today. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of wondering if I made some folks mad. But God saved somebody, so if I have to make you mad to save somebody, I'm good with it. Amen. But I want to tell you something. Your worship should be the exact same every time you walk into this building, regardless of your circumstances. Regardless of your feelings, regardless of your emotions, your worship ought to be the same. Because just because you're having a bad day doesn't have anything to do. It does not change the fact that he's still God. He's still on the throne. He's still worthy. Just because you ain't feeling it today, listen, I'm telling you right now, if we've missed it in Pentecost, here's where we've missed it. We're all waiting on a feeling. We're all waiting on God to move us when God's waiting on us to stop relying on our feelings and God's waiting on His people to move. It's a sacrifice of praise that'll get the job done. And I believe this generation is looking for some genuine, authentic People, they're not looking for folks who want to take their personal convictions and impose them on somebody else. God convicts you of something, guess what? You do you. And let them do them. Just because God convicted you of it, doesn't mean God's convicted them of it yet. And I want to tell you something I learned a long time ago. If God don't convict them of it, I can't convict them of it. It don't work that way. You do you. Let them do them. So we're finding a generation, here's what they do. They take their inheritance of a life that's promised through Jesus Christ and they go to a place where it's all about their future and their happiness. But let's look at what verse 14 said. Verse 14 said, When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. Now let me tell you something. When you live life for yourself, it's an exhausting life. It will wear you out. And eventually, you will hit a wall. I want to tell you, your dreams will not materialize. There is nothing in this world that will ever satisfy you. And the verse goes on and continues, and it says, And he began to be in want. I want to tell you something today. I believe that many Christians, and I believe they're Christians, I believe they're saved, but I believe many Christians today are fed up with being where they are. I believe that they are tired of the addiction. I believe you say, Pastor, they can't be addicted. I believe there are people sitting on church pews and seats and probably even in this room today that battle addictions of some sort. And I believe that they are tired of the addiction. They are tired of running. Have you seen this? Running from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. Tired of trying to find the different things, the endless pursuit of happiness in in this life and they cannot find it they're tired they're wore out but look at what verse 15 said he went on and joined himself to a citizen of that country and here's what happened he sent him 
into his fields to feed swine. Now, in other words, to feed the pigs. He sent him into the field to feed the pigs. Now, this is kind of a hard one for me to preach because at my house, a pig is a glorified animal. I mean, we got a picture of a pig on the wall. As a matter of fact, we've got right now in our Christmas decorations, a college and I ain't lying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. The college and career will see it when they come. We got a pig with a Christmas wreath around his neck. True story. We got pig ornaments on the tree. We got a pig tray on our kitchen table. A pig is a glorified animal in my house. But also so is a cow and a chicken. In, my, in our family room, in our kitchen. But I need you to get this picture. The last thing that this young man should have been doing was feeding the pigs. Because listen, I don't care ladies how I know farmhouse is in and all that stuff. And actually maybe farmhouse is on the way out and boho's in and all that. Well, whatever. But anyway. Yeah. But anyway, I don't care how much you glorify a pig. How many knows this is the truth? They might like look cute in a picture. But I can tell you right now, if I was to try to bring the real thing in the house, she'd have a conniption fit. I don't care how much you try to glorify, to glorify a pig, a pig is still a nasty animal. And the last thing that this young man should have been doing was feeding the pigs. And do you know it was considered to be one of the most unclean things that you could do at that time. But so here he was, this young man who should have had this wealthy inheritance, should have had this purpose, was in a field. He was feeding the pigs. And in other words, you know what he was doing? He was allowing it to happen. He was allowing it to happen. So I want to tell you something today. Sometimes the messes we get in in this life are because we opened the door and we allowed them to happen. So he was out there allowing it to happen. And this speaks to me of the kind of person many times. Uh, Nicholas talked about it last week. He and Caitlin are on vacation this weekend. But he talked about it last week about pride. And, and this speaks to me of the kind of person who has a lot of pride. Too much pride to go back and admit what they left behind was better than what they went to. Too much pride to come back. And so instead, when we have too much pride, here's what happens. And you see it in society today. We become cause-driven. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A lot of young people today are cause-driven. And even if they're not sure what the cause is sometimes or what it's all about. Are you with me? They have this marginal understanding of what kind of society they're looking for. They're being driven by causes and by slogans. And then when they do that, when you become cause-driven, you begin to start feeding things within you that you should not be feeding. Things like anger. Things like division. Things like frustration. But look at what verse 16 says. It says, And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. In other words, he would have glad, been glad to eat the pig food with the pigs. And nobody gave him anything. This young man must have felt like he did not matter to anybody. He, did not, he was not worth anything. But have you noticed today... That everything matters. Some of y'all going to get nervous right now. Everybody's holding up a sign. Wearing a t-shirt. Buying a hat. Or you got a Facebook profile picture frame. That says something matters. 
This matters or that matters. But not once have I seen a sign that says Jesus matters. The church matters. Christians matter. And you know what? I'm, I'm kind of thankful for that in a way. Because I don't know if you've realized this or not, but I believe God is allowing and causing this world to reject us as believers. I believe He is. You know why? Because He's not going to allow us to find satisfaction in a place where we should not be. He's not going to allow us to find satisfaction in a place that we were never intended to be to start with. See, I'm going to continue preaching this till somebody gets it. You were created for a purpose. You were placed here for a purpose. And your purpose is not about your career. It's not about your house. It's not about the car you drive. It's not about all of the accolades you can, uh, you can gather with men. But your purpose on this earth, because this life truly is but a vapor. You were placed here for a short amount of time And your purpose is to take as many people to heaven with you as you can That's your purpose So I believe that God is not allowing the church to become comfortable in this world And the only way to do that is allowing us to be rejected So let's look at verse 17 and see what it says Verse 17 says But when he came to himself when he came to himself, in other words, the prodigal here had an epiphany, which was simply this. He realized, what am I doing here? I was created for something greater than this. I want to tell you, church, my prayer is that many who have strayed from God's heart, and listen to me, I begin to think about this. If every church in this town had been able to retain all of the people, including us, and we've only been around eight and a half years. If every church in this town were able to have retained all of the people that have come in through, came through their doors over the years, every church in this city would be a mega church. Do you realize that? Every church in this city would be a mega church. And here's what my prayer is. My prayer is that the many who have strayed from the heart of God will come to themselves and when they come to themselves they will realize wait a minute I was not created to be like this I was not created to do these things I'm not created to give my life to some cause that is short lived it might even be a good cause but it's short of what could be accomplished through a life that is wholly dedicated and consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ God help us pray that people will come to to themselves and realize it's better with the Father. Come back to the Father's house. Because you got to remember, I don't, I don't care what kind of shape, how bad of a condition your loved one or that person you may be praying for is in. You've got to remember that God can do something that is exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Look at what was said in verses 17 through 19. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have, been, have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I'm going to get up. And I'm going to go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So as he got up and he tried to figure out what he was supposed to say in order to be received back. The statement that came out of his mouth was very telling because 
When he said, quote unquote, to sin against heaven. When he said that, it means that in his heart, he was thinking, I've lost my eternal reward. I've lost my inheritance. And not only that, but I believe there was a great sense of shame that filled his heart as he concluded that he was no longer worthy to even be called his father's son. In other words, to come back to my father's house means that I'm going to have to live in perpetual shame. I'm going to have to always be ashamed. See, that's the lie that the devil tells many people today. In order to come back to my father's house, I'm always going to have to be reminded of that thing that I did or that lifestyle that I was living. But I want to tell you, a lot of people who have wandered away from the kingdom of God are feeling that way about themselves today. I would come back, but I've already blown it. I've lost favor with God, and I'm destined for this life of shame. Everybody else has this glorious, victorious story, but yet mine is such a disgrace. I'm ashamed to even open my mouth. I'm ashamed to even show my face. So I think I'll just hang my head. I'll just take up my broom, and I'll try to work outside of my father's house and see if I can regain some type of favor with God. But then look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. I want you to notice this morning, he did not see his father. But his father saw him. <laughs> Let me say that again. He did not see his father. But his father saw him. I want to tell you. Maybe you don't have a clear view of God this morning. But I need you to realize something. Regardless of what your view of God is this morning, God has a clear view of you. You are in clear sight with him. And so the verse continues on in verse 20 and it said, His father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, can you imagine what, this, what that boy felt like as he looked down the road and he saw his father running toward him now any of you in the house today remember what it was like when you made daddy mad anybody let me see your hands anybody remember what it was like so if you had done something really really bad now try to imagine what you would feel like if you looked up and saw daddy running toward you right especially for the boys it was one thing for mama to whip us but mama was a little woman is another thing when daddy got a hold of you. Does anybody, did anybody's daddy ever get a hold of him? So can you imagine this boy looking up and seeing his father running toward him? At first, I'm sure he was probably wondering, oh my goodness, is he coming at me in anger? Oh my gosh, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Maybe he's coming to, to yell at me. Maybe he's going to say, don't you come back to my house. You're such a disgrace. I want you to get away from here. But I want to tell you how very shocked he must have been when suddenly, as he stood there, not knowing what that reaction was going to be, be and that father was running toward him I can only imagine how very shocked he must have been when suddenly that father began to wrap his arms around him and he hugged him and he kissed his neck see you got to also realize something this morning that boy had just come from a field of pigs did you hear me he had just came out of a field of pigs 
good. But when his father embraced him, he took the smell of his son upon himself. In other words, he was saying, I ain't ashamed of you. I'm not afraid to hug you. I'm not afraid to take you back and receive you and love you. I want to tell you something this morning. God, give us a church full of people with the compassion that Jesus has so that it don't matter what side of the tracks they came from, what they smell like, what they're addicted to, or what they did last night. God, give us a church full of people that will run toward them and embrace them and show them the love of Jesus. Because I want to tell you, when Jesus went to the cross and he opened his arms wide with those nails in his hands and through his feet, he took the smell of your sin and my sin upon him. Everything that we've ever done, everything that we might be doing right now, and everything that we will ever do. So I want to tell you, Anytime that we find that we've strayed away from the heart of God, all he asks is that we get up and we make our way back to him, to the foot of the cross. And when we do, he'll always come running toward us and embrace us. You know, I don't think the boy knew how to deal with his father's reaction. Because when this happened, he immediately said in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in your sight, and I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But I want you to notice the very first thing the father said. Will, if you'll come up and help me this morning. The very first thing the father said was bring out the best robe. Not just a robe, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Take your shoes off, Will. You're on holy ground. First thing the father said, verse 22, bring out the best robe and put it on him. See, a robe, we didn't have a robe at our house. I tried to get a robe from somebody this morning, but I guess nobody uses bathrobes anymore. Trevor Baxter said he had one, but it was downright nasty, and he wouldn't recommend I use it in the church. So thank you, Trevor, for that information. But anyway, they tell me navy represents royalty. So this is, this is, let's pretend this is a robe this morning. A robe was reserved in the father's house. A robe was reserved for royalty. I need you to understand this. It was reserved only for an honored guest in the father's house. And when that robe was put on that son, I want you to notice something. He was completely covered. Do you hear me? Completely covered. He no longer, now Will looks good before he come up here, so I'm not talking about Will. But he no longer looked like somebody that just came out of a pigsty. He no longer looked like somebody who was unworthy. When that robe was put upon him, he was covered. Listen, I want to tell you something this morning. In the kingdom of God, the Father will cover anybody who comes to him in the purest robe available. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. It covers every single sin. So you don't have to worry about what you may look like in the spiritual. When you come to the Father, you might be dirty. You 
might be, you might have the stink of the sin of your life on you, but when you come to the Father, it does not matter who you are or where you came from. He'll call for the best robe of His blood and He'll put it over you and wash you clean. And guess what? It covers up everything. You don't look any different than anybody else when you're covered by the Father. And then he said, notice what else he said in verse 22. He said, put a ring on his hands. I'm going to need you to do like these girls do. Let's take it this way. There we go. Give me your hand. We'll show you how to, what what y'all call these things, a shawl or something. He said, put a ring on his finger. Listen, I want you to understand what this was. Here's what the ring represented. Y'all be glad you wasn't here at 845. I tried the middle finger first. Lord help us. I did. We switched it real quick. Here's what the ring represents. The ring was a ring of authority. That's what it means. It was when you saw the ring on the son's finger, that meant he has the same authority as his father. Are you with me? So when the son came back uh, and he put the robe on him, the next thing he called for was the ring. Now the ring of authority meant because you had that, you had the same authority of the father and the only way you gained that, it meant that you were the most trusted in his house. Are you with me? So suddenly, before he even had a chance to argue with the father about his worth or lack thereof, he was both covered and then he was trusted. Are you with me this morning in the sight of the Lord? And when the Lord put that seal of that ring on anything it carried the same weight it carried the same power and it carried the same authority of the father and his whole house behind it so what's that mean? that means when Will comes and he allows the Lord to cover him and he puts that ring of authority on his finger he can walk in any dark place and he can say I've got the authority of the father in the name of Jesus you can get a bad diagnosis and you can say I've got the authority of the Father in the name of Jesus. Your children may be on drugs, but you can say, I've got the authority of the Father in the name of Jesus. It represented that authority. Then there was one more thing. To top it all off, the Father said, put sandals on his feet. Buddy, I like your happy socks. Those are going to be big because they're mine. Sorry. Put those on. The father said put sandals on his feet. Now, as I've already said, this is, this is very interesting because it's a very interesting concept. Because usually in an encounter with God, such as the ones that are documented with Moses and Joshua, usually in an encounter with God, the command was what? Take off your shoes. Because you're on holy ground. But here we read that the father said, get the best robe, put it on him, get the ring, give him my authority. And then he said, put sandals on his feet. In other words, see the reason that God told Moses to take his shoes off, that he was on holy ground. Let's establish that first. Don't go anywhere. 
The reason that he did that was because what God was saying when he said, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. God was saying, I don't need your strength. I don't need your plans. See, that's where we are in the church today. The Lord, I mean, you think when I preach sometimes I cut you with the word? The Lord cut me with the word this week when I studied that. God is saying when he says, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. He's saying, I don't need your plans, boy. I don't need your agenda. I don't need what you think needs to be done. What I need you to do is take uh, take those shoes off and give it to me and let me have control. Go by my plans. Go by my agenda. So that's that's what that meant. But here, here's what I want you to understand when he put these shoes on him he's saying the father has saying to the son who had been broken who knows what he is without his father if you'll go ahead and come to the music this morning he now understands grace so now the father can say put these shoes on him because he's not going to fight with me he's not going to bring his own ideas into the kingdom Now, with these shoes on him, I can send him on a journey. Everybody say purpose. Purpose. Remember I told you, you were created for a purpose. He says, I can send him on a journey. And on that journey, he's going to be doing what he was destined to do. He's going to walk into places with my covering and with my authority. And with me ordering his every step. He's going to walk into places that he used to walk into. And people are going to say, whoa. I remember when we, when Will used to be living in that pigsty. I remember when Will used to be living in that pig pen. I remember, Tanner, that's what they're going to say about you. I remember when Tanner used to be living in that pig pen. But all of a sudden, he walks in and they're like, what's different about him? I'll tell you what's different. He's been covered by the blood of Jesus. What else is different about him? After his covering, he was trusted by the Lord and he's got a ring of authority. Show him your ring. He's got a ring of authority on his finger. He's got the same authority as the Father. You know what else is different? He's no longer chasing after his own plans and after his own dreams. But the God of this universe is ordering every step. And when folks look at him, they don't see Will in the pig pen. They see him in the Father's house. Stand with me all over this room. See, this is a testimony, a walking testimony that says to others, my life was a mess. I just about ruined everything. But I came home and when I did, my father ran to me. He kissed me. You don't never have to worry, buddy. Never have to worry. I love you though. But I will not kiss you. But the father kissed him. you, but I'm so thankful this morning for the goodness of God. 
I'm so thankful this morning for the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Is there anybody else in this room this morning that will say, I'm thankful for God's grace and mercy? I'm thankful for God's grace and mercy. I should be living in the pig pen today, but I made the decision to go running back to the Father. And when I did, He didn't scold me. He didn't judge me. He didn't cast me aside. He opened His arms wide. He covered me in His blood. And He gave me his authority. He's a good, good father. So I came here today to tell somebody you cannot make, it is impossible for you to make a big enough mess of your life that God can't fix it. You can't stay away long enough that he won't welcome you home. It's not even possible for your mess to stink so bad that it would stop him from opening his arms and embracing you while you've still got the stench of this world all over you. I want to tell you something this morning. The God that we serve, he don't care to get down and dirty with you in order to bring you back to his house. Are you with me today? As a matter of fact, he's running after you today. I said he's running after you today. You may not realize it, but you thought you just came to church this morning, but the Holy Spirit says he's running after you today. His arms are open wide. His goodness is chasing you down. I said his goodness is chasing you down. Listen, you may not be seeing him as clearly this morning, but I'm here to tell you, he can see you in the distance. And he's running. I said he's running. He's running towards you. His arms are open wide. And he's running towards you. And there's some here today. I believe this. They were here at 845. I know they're here at 11. Because most of the time people that get up and come to church at 845, they really love Jesus. Can I get a witness? So if they were here at 845, I know in this crowd they're here at 11. There's some today that you need to come down here and meet him this morning. He's waiting for you. I said he's waiting for you. He's waiting to receive you. Don't let anything stop you this morning. Did you hear me? Don't let anything stop you. His arms are open wide. He's got your robe ready. In the 845 service this morning, the Holy Ghost said he's got the robe ready. He's got the ring ready. He's got the sandals ready. Come and receive what he has for you.